Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today. My name's Andrew, and I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's. We're going to be thinking about that passage together today. I think that, uh, for me, the decade of the 2020s that we're in, again, it's only been a couple of years, seems like a long time, but it's offered a lot of new experiences for me and for a lot of people. And one of the great lessons that I've learned from this decade is that I don't really know and I can't actually predict what's going to happen. And that's because there are things in the world that are unseen or invisible which affect the world very powerfully and unpredictably. So perhaps a virus in a market somewhere in China, too small to be seen without a microscope, and we know it can change the whole world. I think our reading today shows us that this lesson is something that wouldn't have been surprising to Jesus. In fact, he says here that the most influential force in the whole world that will change everything is something that is small and unseen. And it's something that even those people who are supposedly looking for it find easy to miss. But of course, this thing is not a virus. It is the kingdom of God. I hope if you take away anything from our year focusing on the Gospel of Luke, um, I hope it would be a deeper understanding and appreciation of this idea of the kingdom of God and how important it was to Jesus, this particular idea. The kingdom of God was the centre of Jesus' teaching and his action. And so to reiterate from many other sermons where I've talked about this, as we read the Gospels, we learn from Jesus that his purpose in the world was to teach and to act out and to bring in, through his actions, a state of the world where individual people and communities, and in the end, the entire planet, was be, will be filled with the presence of God. So where God is present and where the Spirit of God is acting, Jesus taught us to expect that we will see that the world will be transformed by him. And this will be his kingdom. People will experience forgiveness and healing. Evil will be cast out and goodness and justice will be put in its place. We will be set free from oppression and be able to pursue reconciliation and lives of hope. And that's what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of God, I believe. And it was this kingdom that he came to bring into the midst of his people and to spread throughout the world. And he teaches us that this kingdom is always present around us, even now. And when it manifests in us and when it manifests around us, it transforms things. And this is the message of our reading today about the way that the experience of the kingdom of God spreads throughout the world. In summary, as we read it, Jesus teaches us the kingdom of God, it spreads through small things, through small seeds, and it grows into large and indeed a universal scope. And it also spreads through the gentle and relentless permeation of everything, our hearts and every part of our world. And he teaches that even in the end, when we resist the kingdom, that's only another opportunity that it has to grow in our world. So our passage today starts with these two small parables that Jesus uses to describe how the kingdom of God grows. So he asks the people, what is the kingdom of God like? And in verse 20, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? So firstly, he says, well, the kingdom of God, which I've been talking to you about, is like a mustard seed. And this seed, he says, once it's planted, it's a small seed, but eventually grows to be a large tree that gives shelter and rest to many birds. Uh, like many of you, at the moment I'm planting my vegetable garden, some seeds, and I hope that as the weather warms up, as it has, that I'll see um, those vegetables start to sprout and to grow up in the garden. 
becoming large enough to pick and eat. I'm sure that's the experience of a lot of us. And it is a marvel to me every time I do this that these things can come from seeds that are sometimes so small that it's hard to see them and even hard to handle them and place them properly. This is the metaphor that Jesus is using here. This development from something small and insignificant that grows into something large and fruitful, that is how the kingdom works. We can also find this parable in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. And in that version, Jesus emphasizes even more just how small the seed of the mustard tree is and how large that tree is when it's fully grown. In the same way, he says, the kingdom of God is something that grows from something very small into something that is very large. And overall, of course, as he's speaking to these people, he means primarily to say to them that this small group of followers he's talking to will be the seed of a worldwide movement based in the kingdom. And in fact, they were, as we know now. And that's a message of hope for them about the kingdom going to grow. But I think the metaphor of kingdom seeds, it has even more to teach us than that about the way that God works and the small seeds of kingdom life that can grow into something big over time. So I believe then that the small seeds of the kingdom can be a variety of things, as long as they're seeds that have the character of the kingdom. And when they're planted, they grow into something great. And that might be, for instance, a single person who shares their faith with someone at the right time, or a single person who stands up for justice, a single action of kindness, or the forgiveness that we offer when someone's hurt, hurt us. These things are small, but they can over time have huge effects on the course of people's lives and on the world that we live in. Those small seeds can grow over time into very large manifestations of God's presence and his kingdom. For instance, in Australia, you can think of the classic Paul Kelly song, which has probably been in your head since I put that slide up, From Little Things, Big Things Grow. You know that song. This talks about how the simple actions of one man, Vincent Lingari, led to the growth of the reconciliation movement for justice in Australia between Indigenous and colonial peoples. It's from little things, big things grow. Those are the seeds of the kingdom, and this is how it, how it works. The second parable, then, that Jesus tells us is about the way that a very small piece of yeast is mixed into flour and it permeates the dough, leading to a whole loaf of bread to rise and expand outwards from this tiny thing. The small yeast, it changes the entire mass of everything it's added to. Fungi and yeast are amazing things. Um, they're all around us. In fact, I understand that every time we breathe in, we probably breathe in a spore of fungus and breathe it out again. That's not a bad thing. It just, it's, the, it's life. It's all around us. It's like the kingdom. It's a metaphor. Uh, yeah, everyone's, everyone's putting their masks on now. No, it's not going to help. Um, and when the conditions are right, these things spark off a change, very fast change, and something that they get inside if, the, if the, the right conditions are present. They literally change water into wine. It's one of the miracles that Jesus did too. And so the kingdom, he says, is the same. It's a small thing. It's even an invisible thing, but yet over time it mixes through everything and changes things, sometimes very quickly. And historically, we can see that Jesus was correct. The church, uh, followers of Jesus, have generally been influence, influential in this manner through slow and patient influence in their societies. And much of what we consider today to be our civilization, our human rights, are a result of the values of the kingdom of God permeating our culture over thousands of years. There's a good book about this called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, which describes um, how the early Christians influenced society at the time through patient humble examples of good living through service of their community and their active love for each other. As we're saying, St. Francis was saying how we're preaching the gospel through their actions. 
And I think in an era like ours, as Christians, we're often tempted to engage in fairly futile uh, culture wars of various kinds. It's a good reminder, in order to retain influence in society, it's a good reminder to us about how the kingdom actually grows over time. It grows through the patient work and the, of the kingdom growing into people's hearts. So now, the theme of how, how the kingdom grows, it continues in the rest of our reading from verses 22 to 35. It's a lengthy passage. So I don't think today it's not necessary to go through all of it in detail. But essentially, Jesus is discussing with these people and lamenting the reality that the people of God, his own people, were resistant to the kingdom of God that was happening through him, right around them, and what it meant for them. So last week, Vivian spoke to us about the biblical idea of time, and she mentioned the idea of kairos time. You know, that's a Greek word. It means the time of opportunity, the time for action, a significant time. And so Jesus sees his own ministry as a kairos time for the people of Jerusalem. It's a time of opportunity for them to accept his kingdom and what God is doing. But on the whole, they did not. And so they're in danger of missing this window of opportunity to accept him in the kingdom and to benefit from that. And I think that's the context. This is the metaphor of the narrow door and the owner of the house shutting the door on those who come too late. So the people of Judea in his time, they see themselves as the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But they're going to see those patriarchs inside the kingdom who accepted it. And indeed, people are going to come from all over the world to join in, he says. But they will miss out because of their resistance to him. And this obviously brought Jesus great distress and sadness. And so our passage, it ends with a lament. He compares himself to a mother hen who wants to gather the people of Jerusalem under his wings. But they would not. So we're left at this end, I think at the end of this section of Luke's gospel with two principles. So the kingdom of God grows from small things into large things. And it grows inevitably, it grows relentlessly, it permeates everything from this small beginning and influence. And yet it's small enough to be missed by those who would, should welcome it the most if they're not open, and open to it. And we can find both of these themes, if you go through, expanded in the rest of the New Testament as the disciples of Jesus reflected on what he'd shown them of the kingdom and what they were seeing as it worked out in their own lives. And what we find in the New Testament is a great sense of optimism about what will happen as the kingdom of God grows. So in Luke 13, verse 23, as we've just read in this passage, someone in the crowd asks Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? In context, I think what, he, what they're saying, this means to them, look, it seems to us, Jesus, this world is so wretched, the people are so resistant to God, even our own people. Does this mean we're, you know, we're going to be lucky to get even a few of us into this kingdom you keep talking about? But later, after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and after his victory, I think this sense of despair that people had, it almost turns on its head. So, for instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we can see the Apostle Paul writing to the church, Christians in Ephesus. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So for Paul, the question is not, oh, Lord, can a few people be saved? Is it that hopeless? The question is, how can anyone not be saved based on how powerful Jesus is in his kingdom, which we've seen at work in the world? 
And Paul has a bigger vision even than this, of the kingdom of God, including the whole cosmos and everything in it. Again, we can read his words in Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 18 to 23. He says to the Christians in Ephesus, got a few of these up there for you. He says to them, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And as he says here, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the kingdom when it's completely finished and present. And so Paul wrestles with this. And finally, he does wrestle with the reality of the people who rejected Jesus and his kingdom, these Jewish people of his day. And we can read about his struggle with this. If you read the book of Romans, chapters 9 to 12, it's a very complicated argument he makes. But the conclusion he reaches about this is that all this means, this rejection of Jesus in the end, is that at this time, God's kingdom will spread even more widely because it will go out through the Gentiles and around the world becoming more widespread and more universal as it permeates everything it touches. The obstacle of the rejection of his people, it just diverts the path of the kingdom around. The stream goes a different route and it spreads around it even more broadly. It will get where it's going in the end, regardless of their rejection of his way. Jesus doesn't abandon the people that, re that reject him, the people he cares about like a mother hen. It's just not their time. So I, I think the applications of this teaching for Je of Jesus for us are many. Firstly, we must understand what the kingdom of God is like. This is what he says. It is a small thing. It's often unseen, but it's very powerful, incredibly powerful. And so we must pay attention where God is working. And as Holly encouraged us, plant the seeds of the kingdom wherever we can through our actions and our words. And we can trust and be patient in the, in the end that that's how things will grow. We don't need to be anxious or stressed. We don't need to push the kingdom forward. It will grow in its own time. We just need to accept it and go with it and live it. It'll work. And there are so many opportunities, as we've just talked to each other about, to spread those seeds, to place them in the world, to be a patient ferment among the people that we're with. From little things, big things grow. And we must be careful for ourselves, though, to not reject what God's doing as we do it, um, as, as the people did in Jesus' day, and make the kingdom travel round us in order to keep moving forward. Um, that's a temptation for Christians in this age and in every age, to think we know everything, we know how God's going to work. We've only things we've seen before and can understand what he's going to do. He has a bigger plan than that. And we can, be we can be a bit depressed sometimes or tempted to be anxious if things don't look like what they hope we will in the, the kingdom, the way the kingdom works. And we ask, oh, Lord, will only a few people be saved? Is this a hopeless endeavor? Whatever things look like now, that's not the plan of Jesus. The plan is God's kingdom is going to be the fullness that fills everything in every way. And in time, we will see what that means. And it will be better than we can imagine or understand now, I believe. The kingdom of God is the hope that in the end God will bring everything to the conclusion that he intends. And so our hope in that is secure. Because even, if though, we, even though we haven't read it in, God's, in Luke's gospel yet, we'll get there, Jesus died and rose from the dead. The seed that died has come to a new life. 
And from that small seed, big things are growing and are going to grow. That is his plan. So I'm going to pray, and as Viv says, we'll spend a moment in quiet reflection after that. We thank you, Lord, for this uh, vision you've given us today of the kingdom. We pray that the seeds that you've sown in our lives in the light, and in around, the world around us would continue to sprout and to grow in ways that surprise and amaze and encourage us. We pray that all of us would be attentive, accepting and embracing your way and your path. And we pray that your kingdom would manifest among us today, in the coming week and months and years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.